Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. Now on SportsCenter X6, the Raiders made it official with John Gruden. This is a big effing deal. How much will be different this time around in Oakland? His first TV interview this hour. After his sixth national title, Nick Saban reveals when he knew he was going to have to make a QB switch. And the Ball Brothers made their professional debuts overseas. How much attention did they get? We go live to Lithuania. Here's Michael Smith and Jamel Hill. That's right, another classic end into the college football season last night. And while there's plenty more to unpack from Bama's epic comeback, college basketball takes center stage tonight. We're taking you right up to Texas A&M, taking on Kentucky right here on ESPN. Also, number two, West Virginia in action on ESPN2. Plus, Trey Young, number one in both assists and scoring in the country, takes his toughest test yet on the U. We'll get around to previewing those games later, but first, full circle. Not hard to imagine John Gruden riding in his new old job today, rocking out to ACDC's Back in Black on repeat. The Raiders had repeatedly tried in vain to replace Gruden, going through nine head coaches since he was traded to Tampa after the 0-1 season. Oakland's 479 points in 2000 under Gruden remain a franchise record. The goal is, of course, to bring a Lombardi back to the East Bay, commitment to excellence and everything. In the meantime, Gruden's return already has brought more excitement to Raider Nation than it's felt in years, about 16 years, actually. There is unfinished business, and, and, and as a coach, you know, I was traded, I've been fired, I've missed the game terribly, but I've really missed the Raiders. I never wanted to leave the Raiders. I never thought I'd be back, but here I am, and I'm ready to get to work. I just, in my heart, I feel this is the thing to do. This is what I want to do. This is the organization that I want to be a part of. I'm all in. I only live one time. This is something that I feel deeply, strongly about. You know, the reality is I haven't changed much at all since 1998. I really haven't. I know I have a lot to prove. And uh, I'm eager to prove that I can do it. And my intentions are calling the plays. Yes, that's what I've done for the last 14 years of my career. I've been thinking of a lot of plays. And when I met Derek Carr this morning, I I thought of a few more, just so you know. (laughs) ESPN NFL reporter Jim Trotter is in Oakland. You were in a room where it happened. What stood out to you about John Gruden being introduced as Raiders head coach this time around, or rather reintroduced? You know, Michael, it was really his intensity in terms of his love for the Raiders and his love for the city of Oakland. The thing he kept stressing is that he came back because this is a special place to him. He told me, look, my son was born here. He said, this city raised me as a head coach and he wants to give something back. And so while everyone kept focusing on him and what he's going to mean for Las Vegas, he said, no, I live in the moment. I live for now and I'm here to do the best that I can for Oakland and to try and get Oakland a championship. One other thing that stood out to me his talk about Derek Carr he wants Derek to become more of a leader off the field as well as on he wants him to take more ownership of this football team behind center as well as in the locker room so those are two areas you can look for he wants to win for Oakland and he wants to develop Derek Carr 
All right, Jim Trotter, and the reason, of course, for excitement, as Raider Nation knows, over the past 20 seasons, Oakland earned as many playoff appearances in 16 seasons without Gruden as it did in his four seasons. That would be two. And as part of his introductory conference on Tuesday, John Gruden officially announced three hires to his coaching staff. Uh, Paul Gunther as defensive coordinator. He had been with the Bengals. Greg Olson as offensive coordinator. He comes over from the Rams. And Rich Passaccia as special teams coach. He, of course, had been with the Cowboys. All right, and we'll hear more from Jim Trotter, who has a one-on-one interview with John Gruden. That's coming up in about, oh, a half hour or so. So let me tell you a quick struggle story. Mm-hmm. I, left struggle after 80, I left after the 80-yard touchdown. I left, I left Eve's house. I was really? at Eve's house with Omar L. Duncan's husband. I left after the 80-yard touchdown. It's 20-7. to 7. I'm like, okay, this is a wrap. Okay. So, of course, Bama kicks a potential game-winning field goal. And then after Fromm takes the sack... And Georgia gets the 51-yard field goal from Blankenship. I'm like, oh, okay, that's, pretty, that's they're done. They're, they're done. Georgia's going to take this home in this long national title drought. And then I'm watching the app in my bed as Alabama takes the sack. Okay, and I'm just like, oh man, what a disastrous play! You know, freshman mistake. Right. It's over. The app, the signal goes out and it freezes. So I missed the 41-yard touchdown pass in real time. Did you? So once the app came back, I had to close it out on my phone. This is probably my phone, my signal, nothing to do with the app. You know, you should use it all the time. Once it got back, I'm like, oh, my God, it's 26-23. What I missed? Only the greatest ending in years. (laughs) All right, and with that, we welcome in Allison Williams and Booger McFarland. But, uh, Allison, we're going to start with you first because you're right there in Tuscaloosa. You've been on campus all day. Did anybody go to class? What has this day been like right there? in Alabama. They most definitely did not, Jamel, but that's because class doesn't start till Wednesday, something Alabama conveniently schedules every year. Class always starts after the national championship game. But here's what you got to know about Alabama. They're consistent, they're experienced, and they always give maximum effort. And that's not just true of the team, it's also true of the fans. They know how to celebrate a national championship. They've done it five of the last nine years. They filled the streets on the strip, partying until the early morning hours. And then they were out here again this morning to welcome the team back. They went to Tuscaloosa Regional Airport to greet them. To greet them. They were here at the football facilities when they arrived at about 10.30 this morning, although definitely a much more subdued crowd than we saw last night. So they are veterans of champion celebrations. But the man that sparked them to this celebration is really just a kid, freshman quarterback, Tua Tungo-Viloa. He led an unprecedented comeback. And as you can imagine, going from backup to superstar, yeah, everything was still kind of spinning when he landed here in Tuscaloosa, while veteran players like Minka Fitzpatrick, they're just soaking it all in. I haven't slept yet, <laughs> so I think I'm going to go get me some rest before classes tomorrow and... I just have to go to school, you know. I'm just gonna go to sleep and just go to school. That's it. Yeah, I slept. Yeah. I slept really well last night. <laughs> as soon as I hit the bed, I knocked out. <laughs> So while the players get some much-needed rest, the people here that are working at the football facilities, they've got a lot of work to do because they got to update the decor, the number seven overnighted from Ohio, to update it from 16 to 17 claimed national championships here in Tuscaloosa. No time wasted as they honor the team and their accomplishments. Obviously a lot easier to switch out that number than it is to uh, earn the right to switch it over, but really an exciting time here in Tuscaloosa. And I know you guys are probably concerned because there isn't a lot of room here for another trophy case but it's Bama baby they're always building they're going to redo this whole area it'll definitely fit their new piece of hardware and whatever other pieces they collect in the years to come guys 
All right, thank you, Allison. Go get some Dreamland barbecue. See, another name drop. <laughs> yeah, barbecue has been the best substitution in history of substitutions. It took one half, one throw, really, for true freshmen to a tongue of Valor to achieve household name, better yet, one name status. Everybody in America knows who Tua is by now. So who's QB1 now? While Nick Saban says sorting out who Alabama's starting quarterback will be next season is a task for later, certainly doesn't stop the rest of us from speculating immediately on the next move for consummate team player and my hero, Jalen Hurts, starting with Lane Kiffin earlier today. The word was, you know, after not putting him in the Sugar Bowl, after he really thought that he'd beat Jalen out and ability to play, the two of was gone. You know, and was gone this week coming up right here because schools start, you know, schools start their spring semester. So we go from if they don't put him in, to is probably somewhere else this week at a different school and changes the history of college football. Lane, 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 yeah. Lane, Lane. Jalen Hurts might be available to an FAU football team soon. Lane, 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 Lane. Hey. Lane FAU could FAU use a man with Jalen Hurts's skill set? You guys can't get me to bite on that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Booger McFarlane, what kind of controversy, quarterback controversy, does Nick Saban have on his hands moving into next season between Tua Tungabaloa and Jalen Hurts? Well, Mike, before I get that, I'm just curious, why were you watching the app in the bed? How come you weren't watching the big screen TV, man? What's going on at your house, buddy? Well, since you asked, <laughs> I got home on the later side. My wife was okay. in bed sleeping, so I could have either okay. fallen asleep on the couch again, and my wife asked me why I slept on the couch, or I could just okay. go in the bed next to my lovely wife, but she doesn't like to have the TV on because it keeps her up, and she's the one that's got to get up with the kids and get them off to school and so on and so forth. So long story gotcha. short, I just didn't want to get in any trouble, so I watched it on my handy ESPN app. You see what I'm saying? I like it. So there you go. Well, I was Smart just, man, I was right? just asking the question. Life. Exactly. I was yeah. just asking the question that most of America wanted to know. Right. As far as the question you asked <laughs> as far as about the quarterback, the quarterback controversy, controversy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, Nick Saban preaches competition. When he goes out and recruits, he tells the guy, listen, I'm not promising you an opportunity to start. I'll promise you a chance to compete. And as far as Lane Kiffin saying that Tua Tungabaloa would have transferred, I don't think so because he came to Alabama understanding that he wasn't promised anything. He was going to be given an opportunity to compete. And Nick said, I'll play the best man, whoever gives us the best opportunity to win. And he made a decision last night at halftime, and I think he proved to America that whoever gives us the best chance to win, he'll play. So I don't think he has a quarterback controversy because remember what Saban said, Tua gives us the best chance to win this game. Mm -hmm. I think America is reacting, saying, okay, we're prisoners of the moment. Now he's the leading candidate for the Heisman Trophy next year. Let's slow down. Nick Saban has proven he understands how to handle his quarterbacks. Right, and certainly if you know anything about Jalen Hurts, he's not the reactionary, emotional type. So exactly. how, if at all, has the outcome of last night's game changed your view of Nick Saban? Well, I don't think it's changed at all. I think Nick Saban is still the greatest coach of all time, regardless uh, whether Tua makes that pass or not. I mean, he's now won six national championships, five at Alabama, one at LSU. And I think when you look at how he's doing it right now in this era, where college football and recruiting is designed to create parity, Nick Saban is still dominating. So I think he's the GOAT. He was the GOAT before last night. He's the GOAT today. Ain't nothing changed, man. You're the GOAT analyst, Booger. I appreciate it. All right, the 6 at 6 rolls on. Tom Brady responds to Steph Wickersham's story, which described Brady as being elated Jimmy Garoppolo was traded. But first, spoiler alert, Super Tuesday is lit tonight. Big slate on the ESPN Family Network. Baylor taking on West Virginia. Winners of 14 straight on E2. At number two, the Mountaineers are ranked the highest they've been in nearly 60 years. A top 10 matchup on ESPNU, ESPNU as number eight, Texas Tech faces number nine, Oklahoma. And Trey Young. Young leads the country in scoring and assists, but will face a Red Raiders team that is on pace to allow the fewest points per game 
in Big 12 history. And finally, coming up next on ESPN, Texas A&M takes on number 21, Kentucky, coming off a loss last Saturday to Tennessee. Kentucky not lost consecutive conference games in nearly four years. For guys to advance in this sport, you got to fight. Fighting doesn't mean fist fighting. It means fight for position. It means the shot goes up. I'm not afraid of contact. I'm going to create the contact. That is all a mentality, a toughness, mental toughness, physical toughness. And when you got a bunch of young guys, it's the last piece of this. I mean, it's not skills. I mean, it, it becomes... Really- all right, Jay Billis on the call for Texas A&M, Kentucky, and you're joining us live from Lexington. Look, Coach Cal, he led into his team pretty good. Do you agree with him that toughness is their biggest problem right now? I do. I do, Jamel. I think when you have a young team, sometimes fighting through a screen or diving on the floor for a loose ball or boxing out or running the floor and and beating your man down the floor instead of running with your buddy, you know, the guy you're guarding, uh, can be a problem. Uh, but this Kentucky team has a chance to be good. But they're not talented enough that they they can ignore the, the tough things that the, the best teams do. And he preached that all day in practice today. I know that John Calipari talked to his team about the things that were done in the national championship game last night by Alabama, the tough things that made Alabama national champion. So it's not going to be about the X's and O's in this game as much as it's going to be about are we willing to do the tough things that it takes to win, the the things besides scoring that make you a championship-level team. Now, I'm glad that Drake provided the soundtrack to your analysis just there. Of course he would at Kentucky. Now, over on ESPN US 7 is the top 10 matchup in the Big 12 between Texas Tech and Oklahoma. Trey Young, arguably the biggest star in college basketball right now. Can Texas Tech, with their defense, do anything to make him less effective? Well, that, that that's the key question is, is how do you do it? There's a lot of people that would say, let Trey Young get his 30 and limit everybody else. And that's a little bit, in a way, what West Virginia did. West Virginia plays the way they normally do. They went after him. He turned the ball over eight times. He went eight of 22 from the field. Uh, I don't think Texas Tech has – they certainly don't play that way. But I think if the Red Raiders do a really good job of limiting the other guys, uh, you can you can give 45 to Trey Young and you can still win the game. Texas Tech is a good team defensively. Uh, but I think limiting the other players and not allowing Trey Young to have 10, 15 assists is the way to beat Oklahoma, not necessarily trying to limit Trey Young. Yeah, I'm sure Steph Curry will be watching his favorite player tonight. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Super Tuesday doesn't end with Texas A&M taking on 21st-ranked Kentucky at Rupp at 7 Eastern. After that, it's 5th-ranked Purdue taking on Michigan. Bill Belichick was down to talk two topics today. His guy, Nick Saban, taking another title in Tennessee. Hard pass on taking time to answer more questions on Seth Wickersham's hard-hitting expose on the relationship among Belichick, Robert Kraft, Tom Brady, and his personal trainer. As to Seth's report that Brady took great delight in seeing Jimmy Garoppolo traded to San Francisco, Brady took that a tad personally. It's just such a poor characterization of anything. I've never in 18 years ever celebrated when someone's been traded, you know, been cut. I would say that's disappointing, you know, to hear that someone would express that or a writer would express that um, because it's it's so far from what my beliefs are about my teammates. Mike Reese with the report now from Foxborough on how the Patriots are handling the fallout from ESPN's report. Mike? 
Well, Michael, I came out of the locker room within the last couple of hours, and the presence of owner Robert Kraft was notable. He does often visit the locker room, but given everything that's unfolded the last few days, I did catch up with him, and the message from him was clear. This team is moving forward, and that was reinforced by the players as well. Throughout my years here, I mean, I've seen a lot of negative, a lot of positive, and I just the, the reputation that Coach uh, – tries to get us to have is just ignore the noise, ignore the noise on the outside. And I feel like that's what uh, myself, a lot of other players have been doing. You just got to keep ignoring the noise and just keep on focusing on what we've been doing all year. I don't care about it, you know, and I think a lot of guys don't really care about, you know, what goes on outside and who writes what and, you know, if if we suck, if we're great, it doesn't matter. So I don't. And I just think guys are motivated by playing for each other, their families, more than an ESPN article. As for Bill Belichick, he acknowledged that he dealt with non-Tennessee things the last few days. He said, at this point, I'm all in on Tennessee. Michael? Thank you, Mike. And Brady versus Mariota, that marks the largest age gap between starting quarterbacks in postseason history. But Brady, of course, more concerned with recent history Six touchdowns and five interceptions in his last five games. This is old hat for him handling controversy. Thank you, Mike. All right, the uh, Bears introduced Matt Nagy as their new head coach today, and he spent quite a bit of time atoning for the Chiefs' surprising loss to the Titans last weekend. Nagy, the Chiefs' offensive coordinator, took responsibility for the Chiefs losing despite being up 21-3 at the half and vowed to be much better in Chicago with our own Michelle Steele. That's the obvious uh that they're going to want that, you know, that the city and the fans are going to want that to, to have that success right away. But there's got to be, you, you got to be patient with it in regards to a new coaching staff coming in and, and, and where that's at. So obviously, um, there, the word expectation, the word goals is always going to pop up. Uh, playoffs, Super Bowl, we understand that that's what everybody wants. Do you see a little bit of Alex Smith and Mitch? They're similar. They have some similar styles to them. Yeah, yeah. I, I, if you said they're different, um, then I, they're more they're more of the same than they would be different. You know, they have th- those traits. But uh, Mitch is going to be his own guy. He'll he'll be good, and, and it's it's exciting because uh, he has a bright future. All right, Michelle, uh, you were there, obviously, as we just saw, talking to Matt Nagy. Uh, look, this hire happened very fast uh, in about twenty four hours. Why did the Bears settle on him? Yeah, barely 24 hours. You know, they met on Sunday morning at 8 a.m. By the next morning, uh, Matt Nagy was the next head coach of this franchise. But I want to paint a picture for you, Jamel, because imagine putting yourself in Ryan Pace's shoes over the weekend. He was very impressed with what Matt Nagy had done in KC. He was excited to see that Titans-Chiefs game. That was a game that everybody expected the Chiefs to win. And he's watching Matt Nagy get shut out in the second half and that offense go scoreless in the second half against this Titans team. I got to tell you, Ryan Pace was very candid when he talked to me about what were the feelings he was feeling when he was watching the game. He said, I was in that hotel room. I had mixed emotions. But what turned those mixed emotions into positive ones for Nagy was the interview later. The next morning, Nagy owned it. He took responsibility. He showed a willingness to talk about it. And most critically, he told Ryan Pace he would learn from it as well. Now, the other part of this that makes him a good fit for Chicago is that Ryan Pace, he says, he has shared beliefs with him. 
most importantly, perhaps, that Mitch Trubisky is the guy. You know, Nagy was very high on Trubisky in the draft last year, in fact. He spent six hours with him preparing. Obviously, the Chiefs went with Mahomes, but they both have a strong belief in Mitch Trubisky and for him to take the next step in year two, Jamel. So hope very much alive here in Hallis Hall. Is Matt Nagy the next Sean McVay? We'll find out. Well, Bears fans should feel good because, look, Kyle Shanahan, he went to the 49ers after the debacle in Atlanta. And while uh, things weren't always great throughout the season, at least you see how the 49ers closed their season. We just turn the front upside down. You know what I'm saying? I'm you trying to hear to get positivity. You see the reports where Nagy didn't know about Andrew Luck's Right, shoulder, and that's so why that's he why went with Trubisky. Trubisky who and... ranked near the bottom of the league in several offensive categories, namely throwing for the fewest yards of any QB to start at least 10 games last season. But, yeah, that's John Fox. <laughs> and, he got, and he got better as the year went on, in fairness. And here it is, Tua Tungvaloa, a true freshman, gets the second half start. A very, very bold move. We'll see how long Nick Saban sticks with it. Nick, when did it first cross your mind about making a quarterback change? I sort of knew going into the game that I thought we would have a difficult time running the ball. And I knew if that point came, Tua might give us a better option as a guy that could consistently throw the ball, do it a little bit better in the, in the drop-back passing game. So how was the message delivered? Uh, I just told him, I said, look, we may play both of you guys in the second half. I think we need a spark on offense. We're going to start the second half and make a change. Both those guys have been very supportive of each other all year long, and I saw the same thing last night. Fire to the end zone. This was a great win for our, our players, and I've never been happier in my life. Why that moment? Why happiest you've ever been? I think anytime you win a game like that, where you come back in the game and you see the players show, and the coaches, so tremendous resilience to overcome adversity, whether it was missing the field goal and then coming back and win the game in overtime. Uh, but to win a game like that, of that significance probably created a little more emotion in me than I usually have. A career sixth national championship for Nick Saban. He is the most successful coach today and very well maybe the best of all time. What's your long-term plan? I've always just looked at the next challenge and I, I, I really enjoy what I'm doing. I've been a part of a team for a long time. I don't know what it would be like not to be a part of a team. Um, you know, I, I know that I can't do this forever, but as long as I enjoy it and feel like I can provide the right stuff for the people in the organization to have a chance to be successful on and off the field, um, I, I certainly enjoy having the opportunity to do it. Most people, just because of the way the game was played and the way the game ended, will dwell on this for a while. How long do you think You'll dwell on it. I think after today, we need to get moving. We have recruiting. We have the players on our team that will be coming back. This is going to be a part of the legacy of what this team accomplished forever. But in a little while, people need to move on. What do you view as your next biggest challenge? Well, the way I look at it is, and I never used to look at it this way, because, I mean, people followed my career and I would stay someplace for five years, build a successful program, Michigan State, go to LSU, five years, successful program, 
go to Miami because I was always about building. Well, the one thing I learned to do at Alabama was every year it's building. You're building a new team. You're building a new chemistry. You're building new leadership. It's not like you have to change addresses. And Miss um, Terry's not willing to change addresses, so that's not even a choice. So I had to figure out, we just build a team here. I just do it every year at Alabama. I don't say this to bring up old stuff. I say it to make a point. What if Nick Saban had been telling the truth when he said, I'm not going to be the Alabama coach? Mm. Then he would not now have six titles in his collegiate coaching career, which ties Bear Bryant for most all time. Six and 22 seasons, mind you. His six titles are also more than every other active FBS coach, FBS coach combined. Urban Meyer, Dabo Sweeney, Jimbo Fisher, they've combined for five titles, which is many as Saban has at Alabama in the last nine years. See, that just makes me feel even worse about welcoming in Georgia graduate Maria Taylor right now. I, I cried like a Denzel glory tear for you, Maria. I did just one single right down the cheek right there. I feel so terrible asking you about Georgia after the, the epic kind of collapse, but what happened? What changed in the second half? Y'all were almost there. Y'all were this close. What went wrong? First of all, from the very beginning, I always said whoever won that game, I would have been just as happy if a Jalen Hurts or Nick Saban was able to pull off a national championship after the way they lost it last year. So I recognize as an athlete what it takes to get to that moment. But in the second half for Georgia, I think the biggest deal, Jamel, was that they didn't have time in the locker room to make a halftime adjustment against Tua Tungo-Vailoa. Kirby Smart is the best at the halftime adjustment, and they did a great job making Jalen Hurts be a quarterback. Defensive coordinator Mel Tucker said coming into the game, we got to make that guy throw the ball or attempt to throw the ball and he wasn't able to successfully complete passes downfield in the first so Nick Saban makes that switch and Georgia just wasn't prepared for it and also they're coming off of a double overtime game they were getting a little bit worn out they don't have a ton of depth and you saw Alabama rolling in freshman Devontae Smith he caught the touchdown pass freshman Najee Harris was a freshman and Tua Tungo-Vailoa yeah I guess Kendrick Lamar should have performed one extra song and maybe that would have given (laughs) them a little more time right to figure out what to do with Tua but going forward, though, are Georgia fans, are they hopeful? Because you, there's still a lot of talent uh, left on this team despite this setback. Oh, you better believe it, because at the end of the day, right now, Georgia has the number one signing class. They also have Justin Fields, who is the number one overall prospect in the nation. He's already on campus. He's a quarterback. And they've got a true freshman in Jake Fromm, who just took them to a national championship. Kirby Smart has laid the foundation. I talked to him after the game, and he said, listen, we found out how close we are, but also that this is all about inches. So all these little things can add up to a national championship or take you away from it. And hey, the standard set, if you walk through the doors in Athens, you know what the expectation is. You're expected to play in national championship games. All right. Well, Georgia fans, just remember, you was kind, you was smart, you was important. <laughs> Thank you. I needed that. I needed to hear it. All right. Thank you. Seriously, though, that's the trend. The loser the last two years come back to win it. Uh, meanwhile, top 10 matchup in Norman tonight, number eight, Texas Tech, number nine, Oklahoma. Spotlight on Trey oh. Young, as always. Freshman bidding to be the first person to lead the nation in scoring and assists since the assist became official in 83. The Texas Tech defense, you could say, will be as tough as test. Second in D1 in defensive efficiency, allowing 59.2 points per game, which is on pace to be a Big 12 record. And then there's family ties to Trey Young tonight. His father, Rayford, played at Texas Tech from 96 to 2000. That ain't that long ago. Or maybe I'm just old. Uh, they are the first father-son duo to both play in the Big 12, which was established in 1996. Yeah, I am old. We a little old. You get, okay. You're not getting older. You're getting better, Jay It's Will. like wine. There you go. So, uh, Trey Young. 
tested against this tough Texas Tech defense. How do the Red Raiders slow down the superstar? Sure. Well, here's a, it's, a po- it's, it's point guard one-on-one academy. That's All what right. we're going to do right now, right? So, you know, one of the things that you saw in Trey Young's scouting report is out, him against West Virginia, if you speed him up, mm-hmm. he's apt to make a lot of issues. He's apt to have a lot of troubles, right? He had eight turnovers a season high. So one of the things they did, Javon Carter, you're going to be Javon Carter, I'm going to be Trey Young. All right, don't be too athletic now. Don't hurt yourself. So, when Trey Young finally was able to beat Javon Carter, now you're on my side. Okay. Javon Carter okay. stayed on his side and forced him to play fast. Yeah, Which way? Okay. All right. So the defender, right? <laughs> so it forced him to go the whole length of the court right. and then try to finish at the rim. Right. So one of the keys that you're going to see Trey Young try to adjust tonight is just because you beat your defender doesn't mean you have to beat them to score the, the rock, right? So if I beat you and you're on my side, right. I can do things out. Trey Young's 175, 180, right. right? So if you're a bigger guard, you're behind me. I can just stop, yep. flail, get to the free throw line, boom, yep. slow down, right? Yep. Or I can come on, you still going, I can cut you off, come here, and then pull the ball back out. So there are different ways you can go about beating the press yep. without beating it to score, but still keeping your composure and getting your team in the right set at the right time. And that's going to be critical for a young guy that really got caught in the attention and the hype and wanted to drop. I mean, he still dropped 29 on 20 shots, but still you want to be more efficient with the basketball. You got sugar. You ain't the only one that's slapped before. <laughs> you ain't got no defense. Going to another game, West Virginia, Baylor, 14 straight. What makes Bob Huggins' squad so difficult? It's West Virginia, man. I yeah, mean, man. They, they're slapping the floor. They're in down in defensive stance just the way you are. I mean, last time they played Baylor, Baylor was ranked number one in the country. They forced Baylor into 29 turnovers. Actually, the last two meetings, they've averaged 23.5 turnovers per game against West Virginia. So, taking care of the basketball for Baylor is going to be critical. And then Baylor has to find a way in that matchup zone to find Javon Carter. Javon Carter is the whole the heart and the soul been on the road West Virginia yeah. he's a grown man he has a goatee just like us you would think he's like 35 even though he's really 21 and he's averaging around 17 half points per game so if they can slow him down and take care of the basketball that should be a recipe for Scott Drew to and get and then I think he, even when he went in foul trouble Allen steps up there you go he carries a scoring look at load. you are you taking my job no, far from it, bro. Far <laughs> from impressive. it. First time West Virginia AP top two teams since the days of Jerry West. Mm. All right, the man on the left, as you'll see here, <laughs> is the blue pill. The man on the right is the red pill. Yo, he wasn't lying. Because if the red pill is euphoria, John Gruden is happy as hell to be back in coaching and making a hundred million dollars in the process. He said he hadn't changed, and he wasn't lying. Here's more from Gruden on his glorious return to the Raiders. When you walk through that door for the first time, knowing again, and you're a member of this organization, what was, what was your first thought? I still don't know. I mean, it's weird, man. It makes me realize what a weird guy I am. It's a weird life. I mean, very few people get a chance to go back where it all started. Very few people ever get a chance to do what I'm doing. And it means a lot. And the more I think about it, the more I really analyze it, the more freaked out I get. It's important to me to do a good job here and prove that they made the right decision. How will you be different as a coach now? You know, I think I have to be different because the rules are different. There's a lot of things that have changed. The amount of time that you can spend with the players in the offseason, on the practice field. Um, And maybe today's players are a little bit different than they were. I want to communicate. I want to put the phones down. I want man-to-man, face-to-face communication. I'm looking for passionate people that love football, that really want to deliver for Oakland, um, that love the Raiders, and that will do anything within the rules to win. You've had a a unique view as a broadcaster to be able to go into each of the 31 other clubs. What advantage is that for you as you go forward? I think it's a huge advantage. I used to sit here as the coach of the Raiders wondering 
what is what is Marty Schottenheimer doing? What is their facility like? I wonder how they practice. I wonder what their weight room looks like. And as a broadcaster, I got to go to all these teams. I got to see them practice. I got to see their facilities. I got to talk to their coaches. I learned a lot. And um, hopefully it's an asset uh, in this new job I have. When you look at a guy like Derek Carr now, what are the attributes in him that you see that can make him a special player? Well, I think he has what we're all looking for. I mean, he has superb arm talent. He can make all the throws from different body positions. I think he's athletic. I think he's more athletic than people think. I think he's a great person. And I think we got to demand more from Carr. You know, give him more responsibility at the line of scrimmage. He's got to be a CEO-type quarterback like Drew Brees. He's got to be like Peyton Manning was and Tom Brady is, Phillip Rivers. you got to walk in the building and you got to own it. And uh, we need more from him on and off the field. When I say to you 10 years, $100 million, yeah. what do you think? I hope I live 10 years. You know, that's what I say. Man, I'm 54 years old, you know. And if I'm not getting it done, you won't see me here for 10 years. And I don't want to take anybody's money. I really don't. I want to earn every dime I make. I don't know um, if I'll make it 10 years. I don't know if I'll make it two years. But uh, you'll get my best shot. How good can this franchise be? I think it'd be the best franchise in sports. I really do. I think um, the Raider brand is a global brand. And I think the history of this place, you saw it today. I mean, how many Pro Bowl Hall of Fame players were here today? Uh, It's got an unbelievable tradition, um, incredible fan base. I'm thrilled to be a part of it. I'll leave you on this. What's your message to Raider Nation? Just uh, let's go, man. You know, let's go. I appreciate you uh, raising me, and I'd I'd appreciate you uh, re-raising me because we got work to do. And I'd like to... I'd really like to open up uh, some more seats. I'd like to pack this place and have a blast with them. All right, John Gruden, he's facing some big question marks next season with the Raiders. One of them is under center. Derek Carr doubled his interceptions last year, and his QBR dropped 10 points. Meanwhile, they had the worst pass defense in the NFL last season, allowing the highest opponent QBR and intercepting the fewest passes in the NFL. And now, what you guys have definitely been waiting for, I'm sure, more highlights from the Ball Brothers. Uh, they uh, made their pro debuts today in Lithuania. You see LaMelo kind of got going a little bit earlier. His first shot, he took that from outside. <laughs> he drives for the layup and one. Uh, later on, Leangelo, he gets going. It's this three right here. LaMelo uh, put some trickery on that. A little up and under move, drives baseline, two-handed reverse. And off the turnover, LaMelo with a nice behind the back no-look pass, but his teammate couldn't quite finish it. LaMelo and his brother Leangelo for the lay-in. And then off the turnover, Leangelo gets the dunk at the other end. Leangelo finished with 19 points, and LaMelo scored 10. Now, Jeff Goodman, you saw the Ball Brothers in action live in Lithuania. Uh, great their performance. Um, you know what? I've seen them play a lot in AU ball, and I thought they were solid. I thought I'd give them probably both a B. I was more impressed with uh, LaMelo because he's 16 playing up with a bunch of 17-year-olds, where Leangelo, you got to think about, is 19 years old playing against a bunch of 17-year-olds. So physically, he's much further advanced. But LaMelo was a guy who could really, really pass the ball, and that's what he showed tonight. You know, everybody thinks of him as just a, a chucker. And he tried to do that a little bit tonight, but his shot wasn't on. But his court vision, 
I hate to say it, but he's got some of Lonzo in him. He needs to utilize that more than he does. Now, I don't know if you got wind of this over there in Lithuania, but some NBA coaches, Rick Carlisle, Steve Kerr, and Steve, uh, Stan Van Gundy, were all extremely critical of you, ESPN, and Van Gundy even saying that he would withhold additional access from our broadcast team uh, because of a story you wrote in which LeVar Ball said Luke Walton has lost the team. Now, will this controversy, will this be the thing that gets LeVar Ball to finally fall back? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Listen, LeVar Ball is going to be <laughs> LeVar not. Ball. Uh, no matter what, he's not going to change because I, I think uh, ultimately um, he's one of a kind. I mean, he, he's that father that just doesn't care in this day and age when everybody else is worried what to say and how to say it. He'll go on the record when other people won't. And uh, obviously taking shots at, at Luke Walton, his son's coach, when he wants his two other sons, Leangelo and LaMelo, to play for the Lakers uh, is something that, that just shocks me. And I think a lot of other people, and uh, no, LeVar Ball is not going to change. He's not. Mm. Uh, well, if they wind up playing with the Lakers, <laughs> they won't. So let's not even put that into the, into the atmosphere. So uh, congratulations on being a walking think piece. We appreciate it. <laughs> Mike, I'm going to say this in the most diplomatic way possible. This commercial by Shabazz Napier is interesting. <laughs> Shabazz is the man. Shabazz is the man. Shabazz is the man. Shabazz. It's not that hard to see. He likes good coffee. Shabazz is the man. Shabazz is the man. Shabazz is the man. Shabazz. That's not the worst commercial I've seen in the last couple of days. The Steph Curry water commercial. Oh, Makai okay. Brown. Uh, we ever get to the bottom of what was going on with him? Yeah, I wanted that too. Because the way I couldn't tell who the who his anger was directed at. Was it a coach? Was it a player? He almost looked like he was going after a coach, and then he didn't. Like I, w- I just wasn't real sure what was happening right there. That was an unfortunate scene. Yeah, it was, and and luckily um, Alabama won because this may have been a bigger deal today yeah. that they lost. You know what I mean? So of course Georgia lost, and my man lost it. See, yeah, I- like see, once you make the first dent, you might as well go all the way with it. So well, I wonder what his door was made of. I like a real, I like a legit door. Yeah, and. And that wasn't even the, the conclusion of the game based off what's going on he the TV. So what did he do when the game ended? That's what I said. Like, is he a Falcons fan too? Because if he is, that's probably that's probably why he's so good at breaking doors. He did this already. That's just that's disturbing on yeah. many levels. Um, all right, Sports Center at eleven coming up tonight. While Gruden returns to the sideline, also highlights of Trey Young and his top ten matchup, and also what's next for Alabama. All right. Before we call it a day, you know who had a good day? Was, every day is a good day for Herm Edwards these days, right? Right. Look at this. Herm is on Twitter. Herm is pressing sin. Oh, my goodness. First the fat boys break up, not this. <laughs> 2018. I thought Herm was a holdout. Not hitting he sin. can't. If he wants to relate to these kids, man, he, got, he has to get on Twitter. Look at him chilling. <laughs> That's it for the six. Texas A&M, Kentucky is next. Purdue, Michigan after that. Super Tuesday. Trey Young over on the U going down on the ESPN Family Networks. Yeah, we'll see you tomorrow. Later.